The recording that you're about to listen to is a talk from the City Bible Forum. We would appreciate you respecting our copyright by not making copies of this talk or altering the content in any way. We hope that you find the material beneficial. If you would like more information on the City Bible Forum, you can visit us on the web at citybibleforum.org. about the bigger questions in life. That's what the forum does. And we're looking at the topic of love. So a couple of weeks ago we looked at, the, at there was a three-part panel. Is it loving to stop the boats? And now Ian, Ian is presenting some ideas from the Bible on this topic of love. And today's topic is love your neighbour. Who is my neighbour? Who is your neighbour? That makes the person that sits next sits next to your work. So just let me explain the format of the meeting if it's your first time here. Uh, in a minute, Ian will speak for about 20 minutes and then it's a chance for you to ask questions or to make comments about the talk. And we do that three ways. You can write questions down on the slip of paper in the program. You can stick up your hand and wave it around, get my attention. Uh, I've got a roving mic take that around. Well the third way is you can text questions to my mobile phone and you'll see the number come up on the screen as we go through the talk. If you'd like to open your programs, I'll read part of the Bible story that Ian will be referring to today. I'm going to be starting at about verse number 30, about halfway down the page. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among robbers. And they stripped him and beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. And by chance a priest was going down on that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite also, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, who was on a journey, came upon him, and when he saw him, he... Now, let's see if this machine works. I shouldn't say, let's see if I can get the machine to work. Now, um, there are a number of things that have happened that have raised this question of the Good Samaritan laws. The bundle of laws, many cultures have them in Argentina. They're called the duty to protect laws. Um, this particular incident, um, I had a, I, I don't, I'm not easily shocked. I'm so desensitized by years of watching violence and movies and things, but uh, yesterday I was, I was doing some research on this little girl, Wang Yu, um, and she was, um, I'm not going to run it by the way, but she, there's a camera, some sort of security camera that had the view of the street, and this little girl, you can just see uh, her, the outline of her, she gets hit by this car, travelling reasonably slowly, um, and, uh, and then he goes over with the front wheel and over with the back wheel, and then she lies on the street. And I, I didn't realise I was going to be watching her. I just thought it was a big issue about it. This is the horror of, of uh, the net sometimes. And then you watch as 18 different people walk past the little girl in the middle of the street. Um, some people are on motorbikes, they sort of go around her, push bikes, people walk around her. No one even stops to look at her for any length of time. Although she's been run over by three wheels of a truck. Um, a couple of cars go around her, and finally another car runs over a second time. Uh, at which point, um, someone, uh, you can see the blood uh, around her, someone does 
move it to the side. And it raised this question, how on earth is it possible that no one stops thinking not a thing about being in China? It could have happened anywhere, and it does happen sometimes everywhere. And this question of um, people ought to stop, surely someone should have at least dragged it to the side of the road, even if they didn't take it to a hospital. But no one did until it was far too late. 18 different people. And this question of the Good Samaritan laws, uh, we've got from here in this country, they do two things. They can firstly be used to punish people who don't stop and should. Uh, and secondly, they're used also, importantly, to protect people who do stop. One of the reasons some people fear is if I stop and help, will I be held liable? Uh, and particularly if I've got some medical expertise, will I be doubly held? And so this whole idea of good, you know where the idea of good Samaritan comes from, it's not a universal thing, it's a specifically Jesus thing. There are ways in which Jesus has infected our culture, but we, we can barely imagine what our culture would be like without Jesus. So some of my friends say that they're Christian atheists, and they're right at that point. But of course when it comes to the good Samaritan, most of the times when our society picks up something like the good Samaritan, someone says, oh he was a real good Samaritan which will normally mean he just did some small act of kindness and friendship. You know, he, he took the coffee cup off the desk and took it to the kitchen. Or there's, there's um, large boxes where you can leave clothes you don't want anymore that will either be turned into rags and sold or they'll be turned into clothes for the poor or the poor of the new. Um, and that's, although that's brought up by my part of the family, my, my, it's a stupid name. Uh, when you get rid of your clothes and put them in the Good Samaritan, you are doing nothing like the Good Samaritan. Uh, the good Samaritan, he's a madman, really. He's a fanatic. He's crazy. He's dangerous. Uh, he'd be just doing the sort of thing your mother and father would tell you not to do. As with almost everything, Jesus is not just mildly helpful, but he is a dangerous radical. As I mentioned last week, Jesus does not come to add a few spiritual additives to our lives, like some more salt or perhaps a bit of nutmeg, but he comes as, an, as a complete alternative, uh, radical changes to life. So let's have a look at this question of the neighbour and the discussion. Now, for those of you who are lawyers, I specifically chose this translation. Well, it's actually my favourite translation in English of the Bible. Anyhow, uh, as I mentioned before, apart from its name, it's a great translation, the New American Standard Bible. Um, uh, but it uses the word lawyer. Now, there is only one word in the original Greek that's translated as lawyer. But if you hear the word lawyer, uh, that will mislead you. Uh, the lawyers in those days, if you're a criminal lawyer or a civil lawyer or work in some company's lawyer, it's not, it's not, this, this is not you. Uh, this is actually more me than you. It's someone who's been to Bible college. He's an expert of the law of Moses. And that did have a criminal component, a civil component. But if you think of lawyer, funny wigs and strange robes, and colourful bags, you won't have the right picture. It's a, it's a theologian, it's a biblical scholar. And he stands up to ask Jesus a question. And this is one of the important things with Jesus when someone asks him a question what matters to Jesus is more the attitude of the heart than the specifics of the words we get lost sometimes and particularly theoretical scholars do sometimes they get lost in the, in the minutiae of the words they used to sit in exams and the student has to answer exactly according to the words but Jesus is not bound by people's questions particularly as it says here a lawyer stood up and put him to the test he's testing Jesus He's not trying to learn something for his own life. He's running a little theological test to see if Jesus is orthodox, to see if he's kosher or not. Uh, this man has been to the right theological colleges. He's done postgraduate work. Jesus is a flipping carpenter. 
I mean, they can be friends with God, but who are they to be thinking they can come and teach? That's what Jesus is doing. So he runs this little test and asks him a fairly standard question. Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life, to be caught up in God's eternal purposes? Jesus said to him, as he so often does, answers a question with a question, what is written in the law? How does it read to you? Important for our culture, Jesus does not say, what's in your heart, my friend? What do you feel is the most important thing? And God will agree with you. Be true to your heart. He's not into that baloney. He says, what has God said in the law, in the law of the prophets, in the law of Moses that you're an expert on? And he gives an answer that Jesus totally agrees with. It's an answer Jesus gives elsewhere. The lawyer answered him in verse 27, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and with all your mind. We'll look at that next week, what it means to love God, and why that word is used for our relationship with God. And your neighbour is yourself. I think it's not unimportant that he leaves out the word love uh, when it comes to neighbour. Now, grammatically it makes sense. It's inferred. But I think if he was keen on the idea of loving neighbour, he would have put the verb in. Um, Say, love God, love your neighbour. Jesus said to him, you've answered correctly, do this and you'll live. Just go and do it. You, You know the answer, go and do it. Wishing to justify himself, the lawyer said to Jesus, who is my neighbour? See, he's gone from uh, testing Jesus, putting Jesus, as it were, in the dock, seeing how it goes, to justifying himself, kind of defending himself, trying to show that he's still righteous, because the question he understands is one that, although he's got great knowledge, he doesn't seem to have a performance that matches the knowledge. And he says, who's my neighbour? He really is asking, okay, I get it. Moses says in Leviticus 19, I've got to love my neighbour all the way through the Bible, love, 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 love. Uh, he gets it. It's there in the Old Testament. But who have I got to love? When can I say that person is not my problem? Right? I have to love up to that fence, that border. If it's on that side, not my problem. Now, many of the rabbis have discussed this and, and many of them have come to the conclusion that it was your fellow Jews, fellow members of the descendants of Abraham. The Samaritans were kind of half and half. They were, in, they were not in Britain, they were mixed bloods. So they were usually considered to be not part of your neighbour. And then as you got more and more religious, the neighbour became like with the Qumran community, the Dead Sea community, some of you all know that. The, it only meant loving members of your sect. Right? Uh, so the guy says, well, where is the border? Where do I have to love up to? When can I relax? And Jesus then tells this story. Strangely known as the Good Samaritan, words that no Jew would ever put together. Uh, it really shouldn't be called the Good Samaritan. That's the word, that's the name we've given to the story. It's not the name Jesus done. It's more kind of like the impossible Samaritan, the imaginary uh, Samaritan, the kind of crazy, stupid, wild, take your drugs and have a good sleep Samaritan. Um, this is kind of a crazy story. Like the prodigal son, I have no doubt this is not based on a real story. Jesus is not telling something that he read in the local papers. This, this story would never happen. You can argue with me if you like, uh, quite legitimately, but that's, that's my understanding. Here's the story Jesus tells to teach the man, who is my neighbour? Who have you got to love? Jesus replied, we're at the admirable but often ignored story here. Jesus replied and said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. He fell among robbers. They stripped him, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. Now this, this is a kind of normal enough thing. If you walk down that road alone, which was generally advised not to do, 
It was known in the days of Jesus as the road of blood. It was a dangerous road to walk down. It wound down. One of the interesting things that scholars note about this is the way that Jesus simply says he was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. And he wasn't just travelling from Jerusalem to Jericho. It's the sort of thing you say if you know that road. This baloney that we were taught in the 19th century is still echoed even on some TV documentaries that should know better as if the Gospels were written long after Jesus and probably by people who weren't even, you know, in Palestine. These little things where he just uses the word down. Jerusalem's about 2,800 feet above sea level. Jericho's about 800 feet below sea level. If you travel that road, it's a lawn, basically down. You can't but use the word down if you travel the road, as Jesus had. This man is going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. He's on the road of blood. Friends of mine been on the road and they stopped in their little car they were in, they got out to have a look, take some pictures and they came back and the car had been broken into. It is a great place for robbers still. It's a windy little road with lots of big rocks people can easily hide behind. So this guy does that road for whatever reason, he's doing business of some sort, he gets robbed, clothes stolen um, because they were worth something. He's left naked with nothing bleeding. He's in serious trouble. But thank God, verse 31, by chance a priest was going down the road. Uh, The priest is the uh, guy who works in the temple. Uh, I, for many years, thought that you had um, the priest did the kind of sacrificial stuff looking after your relationship with God. That way the prophet taught you what God said. No, that was a mistake. The priest is the teacher of the law of Moses. The prophet only comes when the priest has failed. Only when the priests have failed to teach the truth of God does God send the prophet. Prophets only come in this trouble and emergency. The priest is the teacher of the word of God. He does the sacrifices, he teaches the people. We see that in the Old Testament. So this is a guy who knows the law of love. He knows Leviticus 19. Love your neighbour as yourself, etc. So he's in, you know, the guy's in good luck. Because this guy, if anyone's going to love, it's going to be this guy. It's his thing. 31. By chance a priest was going down the road. When he saw him... He passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite also. A Levite was kind of a low-level priest. So if you, if you, you know, it's like the, the, the priest is like it's the rector, the senior pastor, and the Levite is kind of the youth minister or the woman's worker or, you know, something like that. So he's in the, he's in the trade, but he's a lower-level guy in the priesthood. Levite also comes along. He should have known better when he comes to the place and saw him. He passed by on the other side. something happened that made him feel they didn't want to walk too close to this guy. But a Samaritan who was on a journey, he's travelling from, he's doing, he's almost certainly doing business. 95% or more of the people travelling on the road of blood would have been Jews. It was a Jewish road. Occasional Roman soldiers, the occasional Samaritan or someone uh, travelling a long way to do business. This Samaritan was on a journey. Now at this point, if you're, if you're one of Jesus' contemporaries, Jesus is a Jew talking about the Jews, uh, you think, oh, no, now this guy's in serious trouble. You know, he's only half dead, the Samaritan will do the other half for him. It's very hard for us to realise how much the Jews of Jesus' day hated the Samaritans of Jesus' day. They really loathed each other. If I was a, a Jew and you were a Samaritan, or if you were a Samaritan and I was a Jew, and your shadow went across my favourite bit of crockery that I've got from my grandmother, I would smash it, burn and bury it. I would never use it again. They considered the shadow 
of the other people in this dispute to be vile and could make you religiously unclean. So you probably don't have that with some other ethnic group, do you? You know, we, we may not like our New Zealand cousins when it's, you know, bled as they cut time, but on the whole, we treat them basically as humans. Um, I'll share the same room with them, I'll even drink out of a glass, they're drunk out of it, we're washed. We don't have that sort of hatred. Uh, I won't bore you, but they did things to each other, they blew up each other's temples and they, uh, they did things to, uh, they, they hated each other. At this point, you know, oh, now, now the guy's in real trouble, Samaritan. Samaritan who was on the journey came to find him and he saw him. He felt compassion. Interesting, to my knowledge, this is the only time the word compassion is used, not of God or God's Son, in the Gospels. It's Jesus who feels compassion and acts. It's the Father who feels compassion for the prodigal son and runs to him. I think this is the only reference of anyone other than God the Father or the Son feeling compassion. It's when your guts are stirred with sorrow and empathy. If you feel compassion, you have to act. He saw him. He felt compassion. He doesn't walk on the other side of the road. He came to the man, bandaged up his wounds, pouring oil and wine on them, put him on his own beast and brought him to the inn and took care of him. Rather than distancing himself, he goes up close, gets bandaged. Where from? You think he had a little St. John's ambulance kit with him? Um, the most likely thing people know is was he ripped his own clothes to make bandages. He has oil and wine. He uses his own stuff. And it was not uncommon to use oil and wine as sort of a medication and soothing ointment on wounds, but they had many other purposes. He used his own stuff. He puts him down his own donkey. Why has he got a donkey there? You think he's taking his donkey for a walk, like you might take your poodle for a walk, or your great dad? No, no, no. He's got the beast because he's travelling on the beast. It was a good way to travel, but he's got off the beast now. He's now walking. This really a social enemy that he owes nothing to. He's now got blood on his hands, he's got torn clothes, he's used his stuff, he's interrupted his schedule, he's late for his next appointment, he's now walking when he probably have a sore knee. But yet he's walking, his enemy normally is on the beast, he takes him to an inn, he took care of him there, so he didn't just dump him at the inn and give the guy some money, look after this dirty jewelry, I'm heading off. But he, he takes care of him man. And then he's there for the whole night. You know. On the next day, he took out two denarii. That's sort of two days' pay. So if you're a lawyer, that's what? $10,000? Since we're talking about lawyers today, just kidding. Um, you know, it's a few hundred bucks. Not cheap. Takes out two days' pay, gives it to the innkeeper, and says, Take care of him. Whatever more you spend, when I return, I'll repay you. So you see what, what the good the Samaritan does? He loves the guy. He loves the guy that he owes nothing to. He loves the guy that is more than likely a normal Samaritan would go, well, good for this Jew, eh? Right? Look at all the stuff they've done to us. He kind of is loving his enemy, really. But he's, he's, he's loving a human who's in trouble. He looks at him and he sees him. The other men kind of saw him but didn't see him. They looked away. They whistled. They walked around as far as they could. They didn't want to identify with the man. And he does this loving business. Uh, and then Jesus calmly says, Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbour to the man who fell into the robber's hand? See how Jesus slightly changed it? He's not saying to you to think, who, who, you know, who is my neighbour? But he's really saying, who, who acts in a neighbourly way? And the guy 
probably can't bring himself to commend the Samaritan. So he says, the one who showed mercy towards him. Jesus, go and be like that Samaritan. Love like that. This is Jesus' great talk about who is my neighbour. He's really saying, firstly, be a neighbour. That means anybody that you see with a need, anybody who has a clear need of help, who's down, out, broken, in need of friendship, who's half dead in some way, go to them, care for them. There is no border. There is no not my problem. There is no safety from the call to love. It's an extreme way of life. And what does neighbourliness look like? Well, the word that's used, the two other words that we used to is love and mercy. Mercy might be a helpful thing. It's interesting how last week when we looked at Luke 6, Jesus speaking about love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, pray for those who mistreat you. He then uses when he talks of God being like that, which should be like our father, like our dad, like the family resemblance. He says, because he is kind and merciful to those who are wicked and ungrateful. It's seeing someone's need and doing for them as you would like to be done to. And it's costly. It's quite a beautiful definition of love here, isn't it? The great Bible definition of love is, of course, the action of God on the cross. That's what love is. That's where love is described and defined. This is another quite a good one. You see, you feel for their pain, you go to them, you inconvenience yourself you use your stuff for them, stuff that you had other plans for, like you weren't going to rip that particular garment. You probably had your own plans for the oil and the wine. You had your own agenda, but you wrecked it. You take a slightly dangerous thing stopping on the road of blood. One thing you know if someone's lying on the road in trouble, that there's people who put him in trouble fairly close. It's a risky thing, it's a dangerous thing, it's an inconvenient thing, it's a costly thing, it's a 24-hour thing it costs him. It costs him hundreds and hundreds of dollars for a person who doesn't even know it and to whom at one level he owes nothing to. Unless he's a person who thinks he should live in God's world, God's way, and love his neighbour. Why would the other two men not help? Well, there's all sorts of excuses made for them, which may or may not have been the ones they gave themselves, but it's irrelevant. It's the question is, what does the man half-dead need? What does it mean to be a neighbour to him? Don't be like the priest. Don't be like the Levite, who knew plenty, did nothing. They couldn't bring themselves to look at the man, had to walk close to him. I remember a couple of years ago, you know those sort of Christmas afternoon groan periods where out of politeness to the people who made the food, you eat yourself sick? You may never do that. Um, but I do it only because I love the people who cook and I don't want to feel that they are prepared. So I eat and eat to my own discomfort. And I remember sitting there one afternoon, oh, turn the telly on. That'll help me lose weight. And you put the telly on. And it was rubbish on every channel except one channel had a World Vision special. Now I think World Vision is fantastic, it's a, uh, great. But I found myself almost willing to watch anything rather than the World Vision program. Here I am bloated in pain from too much food, having to watch pictures of kids, beautiful kids, who are literally dying of starvation. And there is a really easy way for me to make a difference. And a lot, an enormous amount of money given to World Vision makes a difference, makes it get better. I just found myself constantly changing the channel because I didn't want to watch it. I didn't want to see it. I didn't dare to. My wife and I watched the show for a number of reasons. We wouldn't normally watch it. We watched Four Corners on Monday. And it was about um, Brazilian poverty particularly, the number of young kids involved in prostitution. At the end, we think, what do we do with this? Um, 
easiest things to not see it, to not think about it, to not ask, who is there that we can help? Should we help? But that's what that's what the question Jesus is saying is. Don't be a person who averts your gaze. It'll make your life easier. You'll die inside and it'll take you a step away from God's way. It's a story that's very clear, very simple. Perhaps I should just show you before we throw it out the questions. This is our... Uh, the next heading is about... Um, change. Oh, it did change. There you go. Um, my apologies. Go back there. That, I'm sure you know what that is. That's in Chartres, in, in France. I've never been there. This is a huge stained glass window. And, and this is the way... This window is the brilliant piece of theology and practical stuff. It's, it's what Christians all believed about the prodigal, about the, the Good Samaritan story up until about 1520, 1540. That is, the Good Samaritan was all about Adam. You know, the guy who sinned. That was all about Jesus. So at the top of the window, you can't see it, the top of the window is the story in, in a series of little pictures in that top sort of flowery thing of the Garden of Eden, the man falling into sin, and the far right-hand corner is um, Abel being killed, being murdered, being beaten up by his brother. Down the bottom, in the same window, window 44, is the story of the Good Samaritan. Why? Because for most of the last thousands of years, Christians, I think wrongly, but with perfectly good intent, understood that Good Samaritan was really about Jesus. We are like the man who's left the city of God, who's on his way somewhere who gets beaten up. We're half dead. We're still alive, but we're half dead. Religion in various forms walks past, but doesn't help. This is allegorizing the whole story. Jesus comes. He's the Good Samaritan. He comes and he sees us. He feels compassion for us. He comes to us. He binds up our wounds. He puts the wine in his blood and he heals us. He uses the oil of the Spirit to bring new life to us. He puts us on the donkey, which they always said was his human nature. He takes us to the inn, the church, which is a hospital for sinners, not a gymnasium for saints. He gave them two coins. The Lord's Supper and Baptism. It's flipping brilliant, isn't it? I just think it's irrelevant. But it was brilliant. And he says, I will come back. Which Jesus will. I mean, it's ingenious and it's wonderfully good. I just think it's completely wrong. But it's the sort of wrong it's good to be. How many wrong be Jesus focused wrong? But they were right in the sense because they see that the Good Samaritan is a picture of Jesus. Uh, I love the movie Gran Torino, um, where the guy Walt, uh, you know, it's a Clint Eastwood movie. Walt, in the end, I don't want to ruin the movie for you, it's a good movie we've seen, but in the end he dies. Not surprising, he's got cancer when, you, when the movie starts. But he dies in a Christ-like way. And if you haven't seen it, well, you've waited too long. You can't not use movies for the next three, de- three decades. Worth seeing, nonetheless. But when you see the movie, he dies clearly in a Christ-like way. That's loving. Sacrificing. The Good Samaritan is clearly Christ-like. He is the great Jesus is the great Good Samaritan who takes us and binds us and saves us and rescues us and comes back. But that's not what it's really about. This is about who am I to love? It's a dangerous thing. You don't need Good Samaritan laws if you're caught up with Jesus because the Good Samaritan law is written on your heart to love as you've been loved. To get out there and follow the royal law, the law of love, where you love your neighbour in the same way as you want to be loved yourself. 
Is it safe? No. Is it exciting? Yes. Might it kill you? Yes. If you ignore it, you're dead already. This is, this is what it is to love your neighbour. It's to be like the Good Samaritan who is a bit like Jesus. Let's um, throw it out the questions. So I'll speak fast, but you know, I say, can you, can you give some, some money? And I say, what for? For some food? And I say, well, I can buy some food. No, thanks. 
that point. Um, I'm not, you don't help a person by helping them keep their habit going. But I, I think it's a question of trying to make sure that we fall to the side of generosity rather than having met the person in need and said no. Um, can we apply this story to people who are spiritually poor? Yes, I, I think that what, what your call on says is to see, allow yourself the discomfort of seeing the world as it is. Physical needs are terrible and real. And the Bible says, if you see your brother in need and harden your heart, how can the love of God live in you? you know, and the Bible mocks people who see someone who's cold and they say, be warm and well fed. You know, good wishes. Do something. There are certain prayers of nonsense when we pray, God, please, you know. Uh, there are prayers that we should be answering rather than asking, you know, going and putting legs on our prayers. Uh, but I think spiritual needs are, according to Jesus, uh, the danger is. Because our world says that real spiritual is that it's the lack of forgiveness is the most terrible need a person has. The, the reality of hell is the, is the great terrible need a person has. Physical <coughs> needs are real, and it's possible to say the only thing that matters is the heaven and hell question. That's not actually where the Bible thinks. But sometimes, in order to try and regress the balance of saying this is clearly, this is what Jesus dies for, that we should be forgiven. Um, I, I think spiritual needs are. Um, uh, at, at least more than I don't know how to speak of it because Jesus clearly deals with both but he does at times leave groups of sick people in order to go and preach which is quite shocking in Mark's Gospel but confronted by people of need he cannot help himself at the beginning of Mark um, the, the example here seems to be a fairly Christians do. 
I said, can you think of any in the 1500 years of Islamic history, often which they were the most powerful and wealthiest group in the, in the world, any time you set up anything like world vision, just cares for the needy, not for fellow Christians. He couldn't. He, he tried a few, but they were all Muslim. I knew enough about some of them. They were Muslim, helping Muslim. But just where you go and say, I don't care who you are. Whereas that's what that's what that's the infection that Jesus has. Do you remember that those guys who butchered the English soldier ran over? That's kind of. Do you remember the uh, the beautiful part of the story was that a woman got up and talked to him. And I remember when I heard this story, a 52-year-old woman, a mother of two, gets up and talks to these men. They're covered in blood. They're calling for war. They're, they're kind of off the planet in some ways. I read the story. I thought, that woman has to be a Christian. I'm sorry if this betrays me to be a bigot. It's like when I first heard about the Fishtail Hospital in Ethiopia. I thought, those people have to be. Only Christians are that stupid. It's good Samaritan love. It's coming down from heaven and dying across love. It's that infection. It's not just the triumph of the human spirit grows out of that infection from the guy who taught the Good Samaritan who, and, you know, as our forefathers saw it, Adam, you know, is the great Good Samaritan. Next week, we'll look at what does it mean to love God? Strange word to use for how you should relate to the Almighty. Thank you. I'll hang around if you've got questions that I haven't answered. Um, thank you. And just let me share with you some things that are coming up in the future. You'll see the paperwork on your table there. Uh, we've seen the July series, it's to do with uh, cinema, film and the Bible. What's the connection between the two? There's a three-person panel discussion in the first Thursday in July that, that you can read about. Secondly, we're putting on a welcome lunch for the forum meeting. So if you've come to the forum perhaps in the last year or so and you'd like to get to know Ian a bit better, if you'd like to meet some other city workers and enjoy a free lunch. You'll see the details there on the A5 sheet. And thirdly, on Monday the 25th of August, we've booked out the Sydney Town Hall and we have Professor of Mathematics from Oxford University, Professor John Lennox, coming and talking about the topic of religion and science. Something that's of interest to people who are Christian and also people who aren't Christian. So please consider coming to that and thinking of people who might like to invite. Hope you're a good Samaritan this afternoon. The recording that you have just listened to is from the City Bible Forum. For more information about City Bible Forum events in your city or to order other talks, please visit citybibleforum.org.